Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Crypto Catch-Up. I'm Pat. And I'm Ted. And uh, yeah, we're here to break down the bloodbath that was last week. It was pretty hey, good. What happened? Mate, we called it again. You called it? Yeah, we, we did it. Oh, mate, I, I won't take credibility for that one, but I think uh, you, you were the man on the job. Yep, always on the job. Yeah, so what happened? Macro matters, apparently. So we'd been stuck in that tight consolidation for quite some time. I was actually looking at a pretty interesting on-chain metric too, which I hadn't really mentioned. I guess I only found it recently. The majority of trading in that big range that we were just coming out of was mainly derivatives. Like a lot of that volume up and down, up and down, up and down. There's very little spot action. Yep. I think it was almost like four to one, the perpetual markets outweighed spot trading. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what do you take from that? There wasn't really anyone taking a serious long-term position at that key resistance level or that key range. And I mean, the fallout, what we saw, ridiculous amounts of liquidations on yep. uh, a lot of those margin positions. So stop losses, a complete annihilation of liquidation levels. I think it was the biggest day of liquidations or stop losses that we had seen since the FTX crash in November. Yep. And we all know what happened in November. That was the bottom as well. So just want to throw that out there. But I mean, it's pretty early right now to sort of know which way we're going or where. But it seemed like the you know, the key catalysts that we were waiting on were, you know, it may or may not have had an impact, but it was definitely looks like it was affecting people's sentiment at the time just to wait and see how hawkish the Fed might have been. But um, I mean, that aside, we saw the same tumble in, in, I guess, the equities market. So you could probably just draw parallels that maybe because of that just tone in the macro not improving, equities sold off. And as a result, crypto followed suit because it is almost like a bit of a tech stock, very, very small cap tech stock in that way. Some people like to view it, but yeah, it's, uh, I guess, you know, everyone was complaining that nothing was happening. I guess now something's happened. Well, mate, we were saying like how tight the Bollinger Bands were. Yeah, you love those Bollinger Bands. You know how I do. In the last couple (laughs) of weeks, and we we said we're probably due for some volatility and, and we, you know, we didn't really pick either way up or down. Yeah. But yeah, we got absolutely ruined. And I guess like people were trying to identify what was the core reason for this. So Wall Street Journal basically came out with an article saying that SpaceX, you know, the rocket company owned by Elon Musk to the moon, had basically sold all their Bitcoin holdings, about $373 million worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might have caused a bit of FUD in the market and people were trying to, you know, pinpoint that as the reason for yep. the, the drop in Bitcoin's price. But basically, it's come out that there's no evidence to support that. It was basically just written off as an investment, which is a yeah. standard practice, you know, yeah. in accounting. So I think, I don't know, what Wall Street Journal trying to create some FUD in the market, trying to buy the dip potentially. Oh, that day, that's a reputable source. Yes, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Let's let's go with that. Okay. So people were trying to spotlight that. Other reasons you mentioned before, like people were getting liquidated at twenty eight thousand five hundred, which, you know, created further selling pressure and we just go in this cycle where people are getting liquidated, people are selling to try and cover getting margin called and yep. just it's like this cycle of just sell, 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 prices drop. Yeah. It's always that um, staircase up, elevator down situation. Exactly. It just happens all exactly. time and time again. But yeah. um it picks up momentum. But look, where do you see it going from here, Path? I don't know. Ask me next week. Okay. Like right now, you're just playing a guessing game. There's no real time for the trend to have established itself. If you're, I guess, a fan of trying to, you know, map it out a little bit. If you're talking about the cyclic nature of Bitcoin, uh, I mean, I guess we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But I mean, we've always in the past, I mean, we don't know till it happens, right? But historically, about this time leading up to the halving, there is a bit of a set off or a bit of a cool down, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be just what we're seeing play out right now. It makes January and February look like the easiest entry ever. Yeah. Like stepping back and looking at it now. 
but yeah, I think we'll um, we'll have to wait a few more weeks to know what's happening. Or, yeah, so or you're, maybe you're not. not buying the dip just yet. No, because I've still got my positions from earlier in the year, I'd guess, if it's my personal circumstances. But even from a trading perspective, I'm just, just staying away at the moment. It's just it's, yeah. a bit, it's a bit too choppy. Yeah, it's tough to pick where it's going to go from here. Yeah. So I guess we're looking for a bit more of a, a solid indicator on, on yeah. like where we're going next. So yeah, it might be enticing to buy the dip, mm-hmm. but just consider that you know it could go further down from here. What's the next level of support? That's a good question. So let's bring it up. So right now, like that 26 is kind of like our, I guess if you're looking at it pragmatically, like you'd want to defend these lows because going any lower would probably shift the market structure and start to look a bit bit yucky. But yeah, we don't want to lose lower than 24,800. That's like a weekly close or something like that. Um, And then from there, God, look, we're looking all the way down 19s, 20s somewhere around there. So that's that spike we saw in March before we sort of rallied higher. So, I mean, there's nothing to say. It's just too much open space here to really make any justified call. Like it's it's not that easy when yeah. you've just sold off the way we have to sort of predict what's going to happen next. But um, look, I think it's more important now than ever just to be watching these things, even semi-regularly. I mean, if you are like someone, I imagine it'd be good to see what you're doing right now because I mean, is this a dollar cost opportunity for you because you're going to make that purchase anyway or? Yeah, me personally, as soon as it happened, I probably got a bit trigger happy and I saw, you know, Bitcoin's down 10, 11%. Yep. I uh, did dollar cost average into BTC and ETH. Yep. So I know that sounds a bit contradictory given that, you know, I just said we're, we're waiting for a more solid indicator on where we could go next. But from my perspective, I'm full long. I believe in the market. I think I personally believe that we're going to see a, um, a bull market next year. Mm-hmm. And so I have a long-term point of view. But that brings me to our next segment. So we wanted to touch on like reasons that, you know, we could be seeing a bull market next year or reasons that we might not be. Mm -hmm. Because I guess on this podcast, we've been pretty bullish. Pretty one-sided, isn't it? Yeah. So I kind of wanted to provide the listeners a a different perspective on all the negative stuff that's happening and how impactful it could really be. Yeah. So- from a bullish perspective, you guys have all heard it before, like the Bitcoin ETF, uh, especially BlackRock and the other investment managers are looking to be, the decision is going to be decided, I think, March next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that combines well with the Bitcoin halving. Yep. So if that gets approved, like that's super bullish news, right? It is, it is. Like super bullish. It'd be tough to kind of stop a, a big rally up there if those those two things happen at the same time. Yep. Another thing to point out is presidential candidates. I think there's four of them that are heavily advocating for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So This is the US election. US election, yep, yes, yep. which is happening at the end of 2024. So we're looking at DeSantis is kind of the top guy that's leading the charge there in terms of the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. Bitcoin boys and girls. So he's in the Republican Party. I think he'll be pinned against Trump. Yep. And we know how... How bloody tough Trump is to beat, you know. He will yeah. steamroll you. He will. So DeSantis has got an uphill battle, but it's good to see. Like this has never happened before, where you know presidential candidates in the US have been pro Bitcoin. Because mm-hmm. the current UK Prime Minister, for example, he's already come out the gates advocating that wants to make yeah London like the, the crypto capital, right? So well, yeah, he wants to make yeah. the UK a crypto hub. Yeah, the crypto hub. Yeah, and he was a former finance minister as well. Correct. So he's yeah. obviously he obviously knows what he's talking about. Other bullish things, like what else we got, Pav? Well, we got um, just the general narrative of Ethereum staking and the adoption that's been there. I mean, we haven't really seen, you know, even after all the, the changes have undergone with Ethereum now being proof of stake and the price moving and you could argue not moving, there hasn't really been a massive exodus of liquidity from that proof of stake network. So, I mean, we're just seeing 
the new deflationary model that Ethereum has. We're seeing less and less Ethereum being generated, mm. actually to a point where there's less than there was the week before, and people are still staking it, they're still earning. So that only leaves a certain amount of supply on, on exchanges for trading. So that's interesting to watch out. And I think that's quite bullish from just a simple fundamental perspective. Yep. We haven't seen the advent of, I guess, some big new sectors take off yet, but there's definitely some big narratives in the, the gaming and AI space. Mm-hmm. I know we've had like things like Worldcoin just released recently, and that's just brought a mainstream narrative to the crypto space as well. Like everyone's aware of the impact that AI models have had in recent months. It hasn't even been in like years yet. So that's already attracted quite a bit of attention. And, you know, they were leveraging the Optimism Network, showing off what Layer 2 tech can do, etc. So I won't touch on that too much more. But like, to me, that's quite bullish. What gets me most excited is like those sort of plays in the, what you'd still consider bear market type sentiment um, periods, even though technically price may not be sort of that way. And I think that also bodes quite well with Coinbase launching base as well. Very similar play to what we saw Binance in the BSC market. And, yeah. you know, that launched before the bull market too. So I think base is going to play a big part in this next bull run, just yeah. like the Binance Smart Chain did in yeah. the last bull run. You know, people are using PancakeSwap to buy their shit coins. And, you know, everyone's got a, yeah. um, a Binance wallet through their MetaMask or, or whatever it may be. The last thing I want to point out from a bullish perspective is gaming has been such a, a hot topic. Yeah. We really saw it start off in the last bull market, particularly with, you know, Axie Infinity. Yep. Uh, I think it had like 3 million active users at one point. I think yeah, countries like Philippines, Venezuela was yep. really hot on Axie because they could like earn actual A income from it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we haven't seen too much since then. Like a lot of these games are coming out with trailers and, you know, sick artwork and, and all that sort of things. But like no major AAA titles are coming to the space you know, do you reckon it's tactical? Do you think they're just, they're, they know the game, they know they have only one chance at launching, so they're kind of waiting for the moment to the strike or? Potentially. And yeah. that's what brings me to my next point is Alluvium. I think Alluvium yeah, okay. is the, the major title in the crypto gaming space that people are looking out for. Mm-hmm. The launch, I think it was meant to launch in like early 2022 and we yep. still haven't seen a, a launch. Yep. But like from all accounts, like positive things are happening there. Like they've raised capital, they continue to develop. I think the idea is they push back that that are launched so they can produce the best game possible, like yep. the, really with the user in mind rather than just a cash grab, you know, pumping the ILV token. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye for that. I think that'll be a strong indicator of where we go within the gaming sector that may make or break that sector for the next sort of short to medium term. Yeah, so Alluvium, Australian-based company. So I'll, I've got high hopes for it and I want good things, but like it's uh, it's one to keep an eye out for. Yep. But look, let's touch on the bearish perspective. Let's do bearish. We, we are always, you know, we're bulls. We work in crypto. We want it to do well. Otherwise, uh, we have to tell our parents we did the wrong, made the wrong decision. Exactly. Otherwise, we've got to get, tell, you know, the family at Christmas yep. that, yeah, oh, we messed up. It's going to be a terrible barbecue. Mate, Christmas is a while away. It is. Just give it, it time. Is. Give it time. It but yeah, let's give the bearish perspective. What do you got for us, Pat? So I reckon bearish from here, ETF not approved. So something comes out of the works, some hole is poked into the current applications that are there and, you know, it sends everything toppling. So, I mean, if you could say that it's been such a, I guess, a a bullish reason to be in crypto right now, those people are going to exit the market instantly, right? Like that conviction is lost. That ETF is not going to get approved. So we're, you know, starting from scratch in terms of the application processes too. So there's that time horizon on it as well. So I think that's a big one. I think- Something to point out there is like people are talking as if like the the Bitcoin ETFs are guaranteed to get approved, 
which, you know, like it kind of, when BlackRock jumped into the space, it yeah. kind of indicated like, because they got such a big pull, especially with the regulators and, do, the, yeah. you know, political parties, that that's like, oh, it's, it's almost a guarantee, but it's not, is it? Like there's still... Well, we still need the yes or no, right? Yeah, we, like, like everything the SEC else has the final say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah. And what if something else happens outside of that? Like, what if there's some sort of regulatory crackdown? Like, I know you're going to touch on the Binance and Coinbase. So, like, what if something surrounding in the ecosystem gets, you know, strangled? Mm. And as a result, the ETF applications are no longer viable. Like, yeah. what, if, what if that happens, right? Like, it could be indirect as well. Yeah, exactly. And just on the regulatory crackdown, it's the SEC has such power at the moment. But I think that it's starting to dwindle a little bit, but you've got to keep in mind that they still have active court cases against Binance and Coinbase yep. for essentially listing those unregistered securities that they've claimed yep. they, they are. So they're still active. I and think what, what we worry about there is potentially like, I know that's the US and we're in Australia, but it could set a precedent, which then yep. gives every other country a, hey, they did this there. This was a court case. This is why they went after them. Are you as a country going to let them get away with the same thing? And as the global superpower they are, the world often follows in the footsteps of what the US are doing, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the scare there, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mate, the next one, recession, I reckon. So, I mean, it's been dubbed that it's not going to happen, but I mean, like anything, sometimes you just got to be a contrarian and think, well, if everyone's telling me there's not going to be a recession, does that mean there is going to be one? Mm. I mean, the the positive caveats to recession talks are we're not seeing a drop in the labor market like we have in previous recessions. Like there hasn't been that unemployment dip. GDP has been slowly climbing to the upside. CPI is coming down. So lo and behold, sometimes you just can't rule out someone just going ahead and invading another country, which may just put everyone on the brakes again and just affect the market as a whole. So what if, I know, we never thought the world would shut down because of some virus that, you know, everyone sort of feared quite quite revenantly. Like, what if that happens again in the next 12 months? Yeah. What if there's COVID-23 or something? Yeah. Not to say that will happen, but there's certain things that you just can't anticipate and you just have to play it as it comes. So, you know, whether it be a recession or whether it just be some sort of economic downturn, I think that would have a potential impact on the, the bull market not coming. Yeah, um, yep, well. absolutely. So the next point, this might be a bit controversial and I, I can almost bet that you're going to have a rebuttal to this one. <laughs> but there's been no major, major breakthroughs in blockchain tech in the bear market leading into the next bull market. So set the scene, last bull market, we saw the launch of all these layer ones and people using the dApps on them, particularly DeFi, like the yeah, invention DeFi of DeFi kind yeah. of took off and everyone's yep. talking about how this is the future of finance. Yep. We saw the metaverse, like, yes, it wasn't where it needs to be, but we did see projects like Sandbox, Axie Infinity, Decentraland, they all performed pretty well. And that that was kind of off the back of, you know, Facebook changing their name to Meta and focusing a lot of their resources on building out their own metaverse. So we saw that. But what can you tell me about like this next bull run? Like what have we seen? Like, yes, we've seen layer twos, but that's just to solve a problem that we've seen with layer ones, right? Correct. Like what massive new tech or new innovation have we seen or are we likely to see? Yeah, I think you're right to call it out. Like well, there hasn't really been a massive breakthrough as such. I think sometimes the breakthrough comes and you get the adoption as like the next phase. So what if we've already had the breakout in terms of tech? Like we have the the fundamental smart contract tech, right? Like that did yeah. come out last cycle. So I don't know. I still sort of view it as like, what if this is more the adoption play that's getting people in, making yeah. it easy, making it accessible. But then even for that to be the case, we need to see the active user counts for everything just soaring, right? Like mm. The amount of value coming in soaring. We're still seeing total market cap pretty locked. 
Yeah. It's pretty tight. Like there's not really a whole bunch of new people bringing money or big money to the space so far. See, I kind of do and don't agree with you, I guess. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that these things take time. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it's not an overnight thing. Like, like AI has just gone bananas, but I don't think we're going to see the full adoption of AI for, you know, a decade because these things take time. You know, they'll go through the same growing pains that crypto did. But I think a potential new trend that I'd like to see play out and and maybe will lead the next bull market is the adoption of real world assets. Mm -hmm. I say this because Larry Fink, pretty much the king of Wall Street and CEO of BlackRock, came out and said he sees the future of finance as being tokenization of real world assets. Yeah, okay. And crypto, that's like crypto's bread and butter, right? That's what it does. But we haven't really seen a leader in that space or global mainstream adoption of that. So I think what I'll be looking out for is, you know, a project that is looking to take that sector by the horns and really, really hone in on that aspect. But until I see that, I'm just going to, you know, wait on the sidelines. Yeah, nice. That's good. I guess the other bearish things we're just seeing is just a general lack of interest at the moment. I don't know about you, but, you know, we've appreciated quite a bit of value across the board and still no one seems to bat an eyelid. So, I mean, that's happened in previous cycles too, but like, you know, let's, let's put what I said under the microscope. Like if this truly is the adoption cycle, surely the people that were in it, you know, last cycle are starting to get back and get interested now, but I guess we may not be seeing that as much Mm. as we think we are. At the end of the day, it's supply and demand, right? Correct. Like Ethereum might have the best deflationary burning mechanism, Yep. but if people aren't wanting the ETH token and aren't going to use it, then the price isn't going to go up. Like it's as simple as that. Very like, simple. And the demand for the time being is just not there right now. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask your, your mate on the street who might not be involved in crypto, like he's, I think I spoke about it last week, like in terms of a retail perspective, there's not that much interest in crypto Yep. at the moment. And I think another thing to be sort of bearish in terms of like what we've seen in the past and what can we anticipate in the future, let's just say all of those, uh, I guess, institutional players, actually all those ETFs get approved and there's a whole new wave of money and type of investor that comes to the space. Like what we're used to seeing from the likes of, you know, your Black Rocks, et cetera, is maybe you're having all this smart money in the system actually slows down the way price moves. What if we don't see those exuberant moves anymore because there's always someone larger than you just selling just above where price currently is. So I think that's another thing to call out that's probably quite valid that, you know, smart money being more present in the space may result in less ROI or maybe just, you know, the bull market as we know it just won't be the same uh, as well. So there's that element of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think lastly, I'll just touch on this. Like we talk so much about the Bitcoin ETFs going to have such a big pull in the market but there's already like avenues for institutional investment through the traditional like stock market route Mm -hmm. micro strategy you know led by michael saylor they're considered kind of like their own btc etf because they own so much so anyone looking to get some exposure to btc from you know institutions i'm talking about here they're often going to micro strategy and that's shown in their share price in the past sort of 12 months Mm -hmm. And we've also seen the GBTC, so the Bitcoin Futures ETF, which was launched in like October 2021. Yep. And that's that's basically exposure to Bitcoin. Like it's- It is and it isn't. And that's yeah. what, what we're going to touch on later with the yeah. this new ETH Futures ETF. Yep. But yeah. So my point being is, is people can currently get exposure through those traditional avenues. So just providing the bearish perspective totally for right. all you guys. That's uh, it's important to do. We try to be balanced here. Well, we're not always. This is probably the most balanced we've been. Let's touch on some market news, Pav. Let's do it, mate. Do you want to kick it off? 
Yeah. You're just, you're just talking about the ETF? Yeah, we're li- literally just talking about the Bitcoin futures ETF. Now, there looks like, according to Bloomberg, the SEC is set to green light an Ethereum futures ETF. So that's good news. I guess there was some, there was a gray area around Ethereum when it came to, you know, regulations. This puts that to bed in some aspects, says that, you know, the SEC are okay with Ethereum for the most part. Keep in mind, this isn't a spot ETF. It is a futures ETF. So they're not holding the underlying value in this case being ETH. They're just, you know, kind of betting on the price of Ethereum. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. They're just speculating as opposed to having the actual underlying asset. Yeah. 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 So the Example that I look at when I see this is Bitcoin in October. Bitcoin's all-time high was in November 2021, and this came out in October. So a month before, when I think people thought it was going to be like the thing to take it to the next kind of level, like that 100K USD Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. wasn't the case. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, people aren't holding the underlying Bitcoin asset. They're holding a a piece of paper that kind of says, this is what we're betting the price of Bitcoin to be. So... It's good news from a regulatory standpoint, from an adoption standpoint as well. But from adoption, just for price probably, may not impact prices. Yeah, exactly. The price, I don't think is going to get majorly impacted by this. Yeah, exactly. The other bit of news I've got to cover in my end, I guess Coinbase, they're taking a stake in Circle. So USDC, company Circle there. Pretty interesting player, I think. Yeah, Circle will still continue to be the sole issuer of the, the token and the asset and all the operational costs and operational processes. But essentially, it's more of a strategic play between Coinbase and Circle. Pretty good timing, I guess, of the whole base narrative. And I mean, it's not written in any of the articles, but you know, we've always seen every time the SECs come forward and sort of slam Coinbase, they've always been really well prepared and they've got an agenda. So, I mean, I don't know, it'd be good to get your take on this, what you think about the merger. But for me, it's, you know, they're looking to obviously make some money. You know, USDC, USDT, both extremely profitable. Lots of question marks as to like how transparent is everything that they do. But knowing the lads at Coinbase and Ladettes, this might be a move from them to, you know, really just get that stable coin market over the line from a regulatory standpoint as well. Maybe they kind of mm-hmm. see it as an agenda to get a stable coin out that, you know, does meet any requirements if you know they're always asking those questions of we've done everything that was expected of us what else do you want so i imagine i'll do the same thing with usdc potentially yeah exactly coinbase make a big move mate big moves we've talked about it they launched their own layer 2 network base Mm. which has taken off in activity now they're you know diving more into the stablecoin space and jumping on usdc which typically has a pretty good reputation particularly when it comes to except when a dpeg that weekend Oh yeah, but we don't. <laughs> oh, that was that was because of Silicon Valley Bank, wasn't it? Yeah, and just the the settlement times yeah. between and how USDC works as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when compared to USDT, which a lot of people say is like a ticking time bomb, I've been uh, saying it for a long time. But yeah, is that narrative starting to wither away though? These guys just make too much money. I don't think they can fail. Like they're just they basically use their treasury just to earn like constant yields through treasury bonds so i think it was something stupid like i think it was either them or usdt or usdc they made like 80 million dollars just in a quarter paypal Uh, about to do the same thing as well paypal's about to do the same thing as well their own stable coin they've seen these other companies absolutely dominate off the back of them and yeah they want their share of the pie maybe we should make a stable coin yeah what are we We doing make it algorithmic yeah that's worked really well in the past (laughs) oh really i can't think of anything that would have no no Nothing brings to mind. Maybe a product called Terror? No, I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> what else you got, mate? Mate, let's uh, look. We've gone for a little while today. So we let's have. dive into you know uh, a quick off the cuffer. Talic Buterin. Buterin? How do you say it? 
I think, he did, I think he did it justice. Um, he's the one of the co-founders of Ethereum and, and typically seen like as the main dude at Ethereum. He uh, sent a million dollars in ETH to Coinbase. Mm. Now, I'm not speculating as to what this might be, but a lot of people are indicating that this could be indicating that he's selling. Typically, what you do when you sell, you transfer coins from your, your hardware wallet, wallet to, an exchange. to an exchange. You never know. He might be trying to test out the UI of Coinbase. <laughs> With a million dollars of me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's let's be honest, that's probably the case. He would have a lot more than a million dollars in ETH. But I think he's probably trying to get some cash, get some liquid cash on the sidelines. Yeah, for- to go on a holiday, maybe. Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. I would love to do a million dollar holiday. Yeah, but let's think about it, Prague. Like again, like a million dollars, not going to move the market in a meaningful way. It could just be trimming out something that he hasn't. Just I don't know. It's just his allocation to trim, yeah. right? Like I don't know. It'd be, it'd be good to like understand like if there's a, a habit of this or not. I mean, it's definitely being reported on, but. I just wonder if the timing of what's happening in the market, everyone's just trying to grab onto anything at the moment. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about crypto. Hey, you don't you don't see this in traditional markets. You, you can't see where they're <laughs> sending their money to. It's cool because you can see what everyone's doing. Yeah, but it's also like oh, I suppose in like stock markets, you, like yeah, executives you, and CEOs and stuff need to have to disclose. They have to disclose what they're yeah. doing. So I suppose that you you can make a comparison to that. <laughs> this is like you can see whatever wallet they're sending to. It's quite funny. Shall we wrap it up, Pav? Mate, I think that's a wrap. I think we kind of waffled on enough. I think it was good to go through some of the bearish potential situations right now, especially given the fear that's in the market. I mean, at the end of the day, we've always known that the market doesn't just go vertically up and to the right. Well, it does, but not right now. Yeah. Historically, like coin halvening, there's always just been that effect of the markets rallying and then falling away. And then that Bitcoin halvening being a real important point. So, no, mate, be good to see what happens in the next couple of weeks, I think. Absolutely, man. And I'll, I'll be right here by your side. That's it, mate. See you next Cheers. week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.